Welcome to Damn Good Movie Memories with your host, Brian Davis. This podcast is the cure for your long commute and super boring workday. I can't take that tape from you. If it's unsolicited, I can't touch it. It's not easy to break into the music business, but these three guys... What's your secret code? I can't tell you my code. Just found a way. You guys are a unsigned band, and you broke into the radio station to get your demo played on the air? I just feel a little goofy with a water pistol. They don't know it's a water pistol. They think it's real. Oops. Look, all I want to do is be heard, and then we're out of here. Okay, who are you guys? My name's Pip. The band. The band name. Sorry about that. Oh, man, look, it's the demo's wasted. Well, what are we going to do now? Run! Hello, police. I'm surrounded. I don't want to go to jail. I'm fragile. Everybody on the floor right now. Uh, do, do you mind if I sit in a chair? I, I don't want to get all crudded. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, if she doesn't sit on the floor, I don't know why I have to. Sit down! Everybody else gets to sit in a chair except for you. Is everybody okay in there? He wants to know what your demands are for releasing the hostages. What's he mean by hostages? It's the inbreed. We asked for a whole bunch of weird stuff. This way we can plead insanity later. Number 13, naked pictures of B. Arthur. Excuse me? I think you're exceeding the maximum weight limit for that belt. (laughs) (laughs) Yo! Everybody having a good time tonight? What are you thinking about? Swimming pools. He doesn't wear a helmet, does he? (laughs) You guys are crazy, man. It's a plastic gun! A plastic gun! (laughs) Now what are you gonna do about that? Junk style? (laughs) Improvised. The Lone Rangers? What's wrong with that? Well, there's three of you. You're not exactly lone. No idea what you're saying right now. Airheads. I cut a deal with them. We gotta send one person out. I'll go. One of the hostages, doof. Sorry. The music made them do it. Hey there, it's Brian Davis, and for this week's episode, we're going to talk about the 1994 classic, Airheads. Yeah, it's not a classic, but it's in my DVD collection, and I do enjoy it, and we're going to talk about it. Plus, at the end of the my little spiel, we have two special guests, Keith Rochford and Metal Mike Tyler. So yes, so we get to talk about all things Airheads this week, and so if you haven't seen this, well, maybe it's not your cup of tea, but who knows? This might shed some light on this possibly hidden gem for you, so we'll get into it as we have the past few weeks. All right, so this was originally released on August 5th, 1994. So at the time, let's see, I had to be almost 16. So yeah, about five days before my birthday. There you go. Uh, it was originally released by 20th Century Fox. Uh, the running time is 92 minutes. It was rated PG-13. Now the budget was $11.2 million and it was a bust. It only made $5.8 million in the U.S. and was ranked 138th of all top grossing movies in 1994. But that's okay, because like I said in the beginning when we were kind of shifting to specific movie episodes, not all of my, <laughs> not all the movies I own are going to be uh, critically acclaimed or, 
you know, super successful. It doesn't matter. Was it entertaining? Does it keep me entertained still? Yes. All right. So Rotten Tomatoes, <laughs> not surprisingly, gave it a 21% rotten from 34 reviews. The critics' consensus is there's a biting satire that keeps threatening to burst out of the well-cast airheads, but unfortunately, the end result lives down to its title in the most unfortunate ways. So normally I read a review from Roger Ebert or even Leonard Maltin, but Roger Ebert didn't even bother to do the <laughs> review on this one. Uh, but I did find a, a reviewer that I do really like, and she wrote for the New York Times, or I don't know if she still writes for the New York Times, but it was Janet Maslin. And uh, this comes from her review back in 1994 of Airheads, and the title of the review was Airheads, Yes, indeed, that, and even less. <laughs> so that doesn't give you like a, a whatever out of, you know, how many stars, but this is her review. Maybe the rock and roll world has been so thoroughly sat satirized that it's parody proof by now, but more likely, Airheads just isn't funny enough to get the job done. Airheads tells what happens, not much, when three rock star wannabes brandish toy guns and take over a radio station, demanding that their demo tape be played on the air. The idea has anarchic po possibilities, but the film itself is awfully tame. With a cast of appealing actors, several of whom have Saturday Night Live credentials and just enough gags to make a terrific two-minute trailer, Airheads may look like a lot more fun than it is. Indeed, it starts promisingly then begins to meander and never stops. Having introduced the characters and set up the basic situation, the director, Michael Lehman, and screenwriter Rich Wilkes seem almost to have bailed out mid-movie. Mr. Lehman, remembered for the caustic edge of Heathers, is also remembered for the hopeless chaos of Hudson Hawk. Part of the problem this time is unavoidable. Once Chaz, Brendan Fraser, and Rex, Steve Buscemi, and Pip, Adam Sandler, take over the radio station, they have no real demands to make, and the movie has nowhere to go. I don't want anything, Pip wails, with Mr. Sandler doing what another character calls his I-seem-so-stupid-I-must-be-cute routine. I just don't want to go outside. Despite the title, these three aren't quite dopey enough to make a virtue of their dimness. One of the film's only real witticisms comes from the fact that the band's name is the Lone Rangers and the three guys working together aren't per precisely alone. <laughs> I have no idea what you're saying, says Pip, when someone tries to explain this to him. Another worthwhile gag has Chaz asking a record company executive which side he took in the David Lee Roth vs. Van Halen breakup. The man gives the wrong answer and thus proves he's an undercover cop. It's a great scene, by the way. Mr. Sandler and his Saturday Night Live colleague Chris Farley, who plays a nervous young cop, have some amusing moments, but they're wasted in underwritten roles. Barely there is another television actor, Michael Richards of Seinfeld, who just crawls through air ducts at the radio station and gets hurt. Mr. Frazier, as the long-haired lead singer, certainly looks right, but the screenplay saddles him with a tiresome strain of idealism. When the characters in this film debate the virtues of the classics, they're talking about rock and roll before John Lennon died. When Moby Dick is mentioned, one of them is surprised to learn that the movie has been made into a book. <laughs> Mr. Buscemi, looking utterly demonic as the wild-eyed runt of the band, appears more than ready 
for the story to go wild. Most of the time, all he gets to do is shake his head in an exaggerated disgust. So does Joe Montaigne, giving the film's only fully formed performance as a jaded disc jockey, an aging hipster with limited patience for young would-be rebels. Also among the radio station's establishment personnel are Michael McKeon as a sleazy manager, Nina Simasco as an over-to-the-top bimbo, and Reginald E. Kathy as a disc jockey who's a lot cooler than the Lone Rangers will ever be. Kicking and screaming at Chaz is Amy Locaine as his beautiful, scary girlfriend. There should have been enough material here for six sitcoms. Instead, there's not even enough for one movie. (laughs) It's actually a great review because it is kind of true. But that's the thing about movies I own. I don't necessarily have to feel that they're the greatest movies ever made. I can still be very entertained. And, And when I saw this, I was, you know, 16 or almost 16. And heavy metal music and hard rock music was everything to me. And uh, a lot of times it still is. So this this has a lot. This is more like timeline. You know, you have fond memories of something. Not that it necessarily holds up well. And ironically, like Sandler is the one that really became the huge star out of all of this. So I remember seeing this when it was first released in the theater. I was almost, again, I was 16 at the time. So the music... And a silly comedy about hard rockers was right up my alley, and I remember enjoying the film and pretty much ran out and got the soundtrack on cassette, since it was really the only place you could hear the new white zombie song, Feed the Gods. I totally remember the Motorhead song and video, uh, Ice-T and Whitfield Crane appear in it, and uh, the original version of uh, Born to Raise Hell was on the Bastards album. And then uh, the video itself, they break into a movie theater and they perform after ripping, you know, through their movie screen. There's clips of the movie. And even uh, Wurzel, the guitar player, is still in the band for Motorhead. So we'll we'll talk about the soundtrack a little bit later. As for the DVD, this is actually funny. I don't even know why I remember this, but I actually got it for free through, of all places, Kellogg's Cereal. So that's right. I, I had five box tops just like back in the old days of cornflakes and the prize was a free dvd and it was airheads so i guess there's a joke somewhere between airheads and quote-unquote flakes so i think i think it's kind of apropos don't you think yeah i do so the main characters as janet maslin mentioned before so you have brendan frazier he plays Chaz. so at this point in his career uh, frazier was probably best known for encino man and school ties both of which i saw at the time and probably in the theater uh, he would go on to be best known as the star of the revamped Mummy franchise. I-, I think Chaz is probably the most annoying character in Airheads, which is too bad because he is basically the leads, you know, sadly. And I still enjoy this film, even though I think someone else playing Chaz would have been, I think, more authentic. Uh, John Cusack was originally going to play the role, which I think would have been great. Uh, maybe Paul Rudd or Jason Lee or even Jeremy London would have been really interesting in this role. Steve Buscemi plays Rex, and uh, Buscemi is awesome as Rex. He's definitely my favorite character in the film. His attitude fits a struggling rocker, and he has the best lines in the film. Buscemi had been acting in films since the mid-1980s, mostly in independent films. His break would be in the terrific movie Miller's Crossing from 1990. I do own that, so we'll be talking about that later. And uh, he would also go on to Barton Fink, Billy Bathgate, and the amazing Reservoir Dogs as Mr. Pink. 
He also had a great cameo as Buddy Holly in the 50s diner in Pulp Fiction. All right, Adam Sandler pays Pip, and Sandler would, of course, go on to be the biggest star of anyone in this film, like I said before. Prior to Airheads, he was probably best known for being on Saturday Night Live and his hilarious comedy album, They're All Gonna Laugh at You. Uh, Sandler has a fun role as a drummer and pretty much plays his goofy self, but I don't think anyone would have guessed he would go on to be such a huge comedy star in the coming years. Joe Montaigne plays Ian the Shark. Uh, he's the disc jockey, the main disc jockey at the radio station in this film. Montaigne had been acting since the late 70s, mostly appearing in bit roles on television, but he did have a key role in the 80s show Soap and a reoccurring character, Fat Tony, on The Simpsons. His biggest role is probably in The Godfather Part 3 as Joey Zaza, and his character in Airheads is really good, you know, because he kind of plays that older rock DJ who's kind of jaded. He, he hates his job, and, and he pretty much hates the program director. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of stereotypical, but if you've ever been in radio, these guys really do exist. <laughs> and then there's Michael McKeon as Milo Jackson. McKeon was definitely the most accomplished star at the time of the filming of Airheads, and he was best known as playing, of course, Lenny and Laverne and Shirley, and the lead singer of Spinal Tap, David St. Hubbins. He also appeared in films like Clue, Short Circuit 2, and Earth Girls Are Easy. He was also on Saturday Night Live from 1994 to 1995. His character in Airheads is your stereotypical radio station program manager who basically plays the same garbage and always is looking to change formats if the money is right. All right, there's some great side characters in this film. Of course, there's Chris Farley, who plays a, a police officer, Wilson. He was just starting to get into movies at this time, and, and prior to this, he had small small roles in Wayne's World and Coneheads. was amazing on Saturday Night Live, and uh, he just kind of plays a hapless policeman in Airheads, and like Janet Maslin said, he's kind of underused and should have been written in more. Judd Nelson plays Jimmy Wing. It, it's kind of interesting how Nelson's career turned... After lots of success in the 80s, his breakout role was, of course, in The Breakfast Club as the bad boy John Bender, and ironically, his character in Airheads is exactly the person that Bender would have hated in The Breakfast Club, a shady record label executive. But that's how it kind of works. I think this the side characters are actually what makes this film uh, very interesting, in my opinion. Ernie Hudson plays O'Malley. Hudson was best known as Winston in the original Ghostbusters, and in the same year as Airheads, as Officer Albrecht in The Crow. In Airheads, he plays a well-meaning hostage negotiator. All right, Michael Richards plays Doug Beach, and Richards at this point was definitely known as Kramer on Seinfeld, and he basically plays a similar but more of a bumbling character uh, as the station accountant in Airheads. His physical comedy definitely works well in this role. I remember first see seeing him as Stanley Spadowski in UHF and, of course, the Bowtie Killer in Problem Child. Yes, I, I own both of those as well. <laughs> Get ready. A young David Arquette appears as Carter. At this point, Arquette really hadn't done much and was probably well-known for basically being Rosanna Arquette's brother. He, of course, would go on to be pretty well-known uh, in his own right, acting, and along with marrying Courtney Cox. In Arids, he plays one of the dopey hostages at the station. Amy Locaine plays Kayla, and uh, that this would probably be her best-known role, uh, though prior to Airheads, she did appear in School Ties with Brendan Fraser and the movie Crybaby with Johnny Depp. Her character Kayla is probably even less likable than Chaz, so they're men for each other. Speaking of Amy Locaine, it's kind of crazy coincidence that I'm doing this episode because she was just, not too long ago, I want to say like five days ago, well, as I'm, as I'm recording this, 
Uh, she was sentenced to more prison time because I guess she had a DUI crash in 2010 in New Jersey and it killed a woman. So she's 47 now, Locaine, and she was given five years behind bars and then will likely serve about 20 months if her next appeal fails. Um, but she's looking to be freed on bail, depending on her appeal. But she's already served about two and a half years of three, the three-year sentence uh, before her 2015 release and has completed a three-year parole term. But an appeals judge ordered her to be resentenced after determining that the initial sentence uh, imposed by the original judge was too lenient and insufficient for the crash that killed a woman. And so, yeah, I don't. her character wasn't that far off. From real life, sadly. Nina Samasco, I think I'm saying that right, plays Susie. And until now, preparing for this episode, I had no idea that she was Corey Haim's activist sister, Natalie, and licensed to drive. I mean, she looks completely different in Airheads. So there you go. Talk about polar opposite characters. She basically plays a feminist in License to Drive, and then she plays a blonde ditz in Airheads. That's why they call it acting, folks. Marshall Bell plays Carl Mace, and this is probably one of the funniest side characters in Airheads. He plays this high-strung lunatic hostage squad leader who wants nothing more than to wipe out everyone in the building. Prior to Airheads, he played Will Wheaton's father in Stand By Me. He also had a bit role in No Way Out, Johnny B. Good, Twins, Total Recall, Dick Tracy, and Air America. Reggie Cathy plays... Marcus and Kathy has a funny role as a radio engineer who definitely has a problem with Whitey, <laughs> which makes him for some funny scenes in this film. Kathy has gone on to appear in tons of TV shows like Oz, The Wire, Law and Order, SVU, and House of Cards. All right, the director was Michael Lehman, and prior to Airheads, Lehman directed the cult classic Heather's with Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. That is a terrific film. But he also directed Hudson Hawk with Bruce Willis, and after Airheads, Lehman pretty much stuck with uh, doing mostly uh, directorial work for TV shows. The writer is Rich Wilkes, Airheads is his first writing credit, and then he went on to write the Jerky Boys movie, along with Triple X with Vin Diesel. Hard Rock fans will be interested to know that Wilkes is the writer for the upcoming Molly Crew movie entitled The Dirt, based on their biography, that will be released on Netflix. I can't imagine this being any good, but who knows? I will watch it, because I have Netflix. Alright, let's just get into the movie. Uh, I'm not going to go through everything. These are going to be the things I noticed the most, the things I found most interesting. Uh, if you want to watch the movie, you go watch the movie. But <laughs> uh, The movie starts out great with Born to Raise Hell from Motorhead. Uh, I do enjoy the original Motorhead version better from uh, Bastards, but hey, I mean, it was nice to add Whitfield Crane and, and Ice-T and, and uh, Metal Mike and Keith and I talk about uh, this later in the episode. Uh, there's a fun intro with a montage from all the different forms of media. So all of a sudden you see records and CDs and concert tickets and concert posters, backstage laminates, mixing boards, guitars, drums, mics, wah-wah, pedals, keyboards, picks, pizza, boom boxes, jean jackets, reel-to-reel machine, leather jackets, and set lists. Everything that your typical rocker would want. Again, Joe Montana plays the radio DJ Ian the Shark. He's drinking beer in the studio. Uh, what's funny is this reminding me of a story. So when I was going to college, I, of course, wanted to be a radio disc jockey. And I had an internship at a local radio station here in San Jose called KSGO. And it was pretty popular. It was like the main rock station way back when, 92.3. And so I was an intern, and um, my first day 
at the radio station. I come in and they're like, well, um, they're doing free beer Friday. So why don't you go in and get a beer? I'm like, okay. So I go into the studio and as I'm about to grab a beer, I noticed that free beer Friday is also free stripper Friday because there was three completely naked strippers all over the studio. So that was my introduction to radio. And, uh, Everyone loved my update. So this was nine. No, this is ninety. No, this is two thousand. So we were doing our reports basically through like a, a chat board or like a you know we would have to post you know what we did uh, you know when we had our internship and and suffice to say mine were the most entertaining posts. <laughs> so that was my first day and it pretty much all it never topped that, but it was always very interesting. But it was definitely. Um, working at a radio station can be a lot of fun. I don't think it's always like that, but it was that day. All right, so we go back to the movie, and uh, Brendan Fraser is sitting at home as like a slacker, no job, and uh, he's watching the Janie's Got a Gun video from Aerosmith, which is always one of Aerosmith's best videos. Uh, but again, Brendan Fraser just plays the most annoying character in this, and his girlfriend, Kayla, is just crazy. Like They're, they're just not likable characters. There are other people that saved this movie, but I think part of the reason this movie didn't take off was when Brendan Fraser is your main guy, just doesn't come off as authentic, and I think that's what kind of hinders this movie. Now, Rex, on the other hand, Steve Buscemi, he's great. He works at a toy store. It's, it's almost very Repo Man-esque, like that scene in the grocery store where Emilio Estevez like, pushes over his buddy or all, all over the cans. That's kind of how Rex is at the toy store. Also, I have a feeling that the character's name, Rex was definitely a nod to Pantera bassist Rex Brown, and and uh, Keith and I talk about this. Uh, back then, uh, Rex Brown simply went by Rex during his Pantera days, and actually before that, <laughs> he went by Rex Rocker when they were kind of in their glam phase with Terry Glaze. Adam Sandler's Pip, and he is wearing a half shirt, which is always a tremendous look. Uh, he plays a pool cleaner, he has a van and a motorcycle. There's a funny line that references uh, Tommy Lee banging Heather Locklear, and and so what's what's interesting is yeah at this point you you kind of always think of Tommy Lee with Pamela Anderson but really he was married to Heather Locklear for many years and people kind of forget about this. Uh, Pip and Rex are brothers in the movie, kind of like Vinny Paul and Dimebag Daryl and Pantera. So I think there was a lot of Pantera in this movie. So we go to their apartment and uh, it's just a flea bag apartment, but there's a lot of cool little like nuggets in there. They did a really good they the. Whoever was doing the design did a really good job with these little like knickknacks and posters and stickers. So like, there's the band Therapy. You can see a poster there. There's a Crow Mag sticker on the fridge, a Metal Blade sticker. There's a Great White sticker in the van. Just cool little things like this that you may not recognize uh, unless you're really looking for them. She booted you out again, huh? Oh, what a bitch. I mean, did that happen? Hey, don't mean squat, man. She's gonna be Jones in six months from now. We're on the cover of Rip Magazine, looking all cool. Shut up. Just saying. Rex. What? I told you to stock the end caps and mop the employee lounge. Too late, Zachary. I'm out of here. I'm gonna tell old man Covington. I'll be quiet. So the boys go to the Whiskey, which of course is the, one of the fam- the Whiskey a Go Go, which is a famous uh, rock club in Hollywood on Sunset Strip, and this band called Sons of Thunder is playing, who is actually the real band Galactic Cowboys, but they're terrible. And uh, the station, we find out later that um, 
the Lone Rangers end up uh, hijacking uh, is changing formats or going to light rock. And what's interesting is when I was at 92.3, uh, there was a competing classic rock station at the time that was just starting called The Bone. Now, The Bone is still around. And uh, I was, t- <laughs> I had to, this is another part of my internship, I had to go on a company credit card and buy fish heads and mail them to The Bone. <laughs> that was part of my internship. Yeah, I was re- learning a lot about radio in those days. Um, and yeah, so I had to go to a fish market in my own car because I was an intern, so they didn't want me to drive the company van because I wasn't insured. So I had to drive my own car, buy all these really smelly fish heads, and then mail them to the competing station. It was supposed to be like some sort of mafia thing, you know, like, you know, you sleep with the fishes. And then I had to go to Kinko's and send these joke faxes to clog up their uh, fax machines so they couldn't get faxes. I know, yeah, yeah, this is <laughs> really mature. This is what I was learning. Uh, yes, yes. This is why I'm not in radio anymore, folks. And this is probably why radio stations are pretty much done. I mean, everyone goes to podcasts and internet radio, by the way. So, And by the way, if you didn't know already, I'm going off on a tangent here. I am now on that metal station with my own show called The Bad Beat. That's right. Brian A. Davis has his own show on thatmetalstation.com every Wednesday from 11 p.m. Eastern Time to 1 a.m. Eastern Time. If you're on the West Coast, it's 8 p.m. Pacific. Uh, I might go longer on certain days, so you never know, but the show starts at 11 p.m. Eastern, 8 p.m. Pacific every Wednesday, so check that out. Speaking of radio stations and uh, great music, you got to check it out. Our, Our buddy DJ Metal Mike is on that metal station, so definitely check it out. What the hell are these? They're shorts, Ian. You know, pants with little legs. And this... Hey, I don't have to explain myself to you, man. Come here. What? I'm right here. Speak to me. What's going down? Okay, um, we're changing formats. Sunday at midnight, the station goes soft rock. Revel Radio's going soft? Well, we're changing the name of the station to uh, The Rain. You know, relax to the mellow sounds of The Rain on KPPX. That, and we're being forced to restaff. You pud. You're firing me? You little snake in the grass bastard. Where do you get the balls to fire me? This was handed down from above, Ian. I bought this thing kicking and screaming. You've just begun to kick and scream, you sniveling putts. I'll kill you! Anyway, back to the movie. Michael Richards, again, plays a radio uh, suit accountant. He's super nervous. There's a lot of physical comedy. He, he climbs through the vents. He lights himself on fire. This is basically just like a dumber version of Kramer. There's a great Lone Rangers joke that uh, Janet Maslin already uh, kind of talked about. Okay, who are you guys? My name's Pitt. The band. The band name. Sorry about that. He doesn't wear a helmet, does he? It's right there on the box. Read it. The Lone Rangers? That's original. How can you pluralize the Lone Ranger? What's wrong with that? Well, there's three of you. You're not exactly lone. Shouldn't you be the three Rangers? No idea what you're saying right now. You lost me. Forget about it, Ian. Just play the thing. Yeah, good. Just come on. Just, just play it. Listen up, guppies. Ian the Shark is back. And have I got a surprise for you. 
I've got goosebumps, frankly. For the first time ever, I'm willing to bet. Here's that hit single by The Lone Rangers. The song Degenerated, which is the Lone Rangers song that they're trying to get played on the radio, was originally done by a punk band named Reagan Youth. And the band, the Lone Rangers, is actually White Zombie. So it's uh, Sean Assault and uh, Jay Younger, and then Brendan Fraser is on vocals. When the boys take everyone hostage, uh, you know, they want their demo tape. Uh, which was thrown out the window by Kawa and then peed on by a dog. <laughs> Rex calls her Yoko, which is kind of funny. Uh, so the, one of the funny things they do, the hostage demands, they, so they want 67 copies of Moby Dick. And of course, Susie asks, is, is this the movie or the book? So they, they can uh, plead insanity later. <laughs> uh, they they just want airplane. So then they ask for uh, a football helmet filled with cottage cheese, uh, a Zahn walnut bass guitar with a graphite neck, a PRS guitar with a dragon inlay, naked pictures of B. Arthur, a giant baby bottle, a Captain America arcade-sized video game, and a record contract. And so Ernie Hudson has to go out and try to get all of these things, which is kind of amusing. I'm not scared, Pip. Come on. I'm going to stab your heads off. With what? With what? With my dick! Sixty-seven copies of Moby Dick. The movie or the book? You made a book out of that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, get the book. All right, there are great cameos in this movie. Uh, you have Beavis and ButtHead, who are at the height of their fame on MTV at this point. Uh, they kind of call in, so Mike Judge does the voices, so they're like on the radio type of thing. You're on the air. Whoa, am I on the air? Come on, buddy, give me the phone. <laughs> am I speaking English? What did I just say, dipshit? Oh, uh, so what do you guys want? You guys are like the Lone Rangers, right? Yeah. We saw you guys at the wheel well last month. You suck. Yeah. Hey, yeah. come down here and say that, you punk. Yeah, yeah straight. You can kiss my ass. Uh, Harold Ramis, again, the, the scene that Janet Maslin talked about where uh, uh, it was actually like a hostage negotiator comes and says, they asked him a question like, whose side did you take? between David Lee Roth and Van Halen. And uh, obviously, if you go with Sammy Hagar, you have to be a re- either a record executive or a cop. And uh, of course, he picked Sammy Hagar. What are they trying to pull now? Oh, they're messing with our heads. Chad! Chad, guys! Hey, Chad, let me in! Keep an eye on him, Pip! Chad! Hey, guys, Chad, let me in! Who are you? Chris Moore, Capitol Records, A&R. Come on, let me in. I told you, man, things are going our way. Take a few steps back from the door. You tossed me some ID. Hey, hey. All right, man, so how'd you find us? The cops told me you guys are looking for a record contract. There's something going on here we've got to take immediate advantage of, guys. Come on, let's talk, huh? Yeah, what's that? What's that? Will you look? This is hot. You guys are the hottest thing since Marky Mark and the Funky Bunch. Marky Mark, man, that guy sucks. Okay, forget Marky Mark. There's magic out here, guys. Let's talk contracts. I promise you, someday we're going to be backstage at the Forum laughing about this. All right, let me ask you a question. What side are you taking the big David Lee Roth Van Halen split? What do you mean? What kind of question is that? What side did you take, Halen or Roth? Van Halen. He's a cop. Oh, come on, Strictly a judgment call. They sold a lot of records after Dave left the group. Come on, one more question. Hey, come on, Jess, one more. All right, all right, all right. Who'd win in a wrestling match, Lemmy or God? Lemmy. Ah, God. 
Wrong, dickhead. Trick question. Lemmy is God. Yeah! Uh, Lemmy um, is in the crowd when they were all talking about what they did, when how they were as, as uh, high school, if they were nerds or not. I played D&D too! Yeah. Yeah. I was editor of the school magazine! Yeah. I used to wear corduroy pants! Yeah. I used to masturbate! Constantly! You also get Stuttering John from the Howard Stern Show at the time. He's in the in the crowd. And then Kurt Loder, who is the main MTV reporter, he also has a cameo as well. Chaz has some awful, awful tattoos. I mean, everyone's got t- tattoos now, but back then they were still somewhat um, rebellious. And so he has a gecko, a grim reaper, and barbed wire. All very lame. You gotta love the Van Halen debate that I talked about before. Pip wants an underwater drum set. Rex wants a leather jumpsuit with a crotch cut out. And then they, of course, talk about the story of Ozzy pissing on the Alamo and Vince Neil getting uh, only 30 days after a car accident. Because, you know, eventually these guys are going to go to j- going to jail. I mean, they're taking people hostage, even though they're taking them hostage with water pistols filled with, uh, I think it's pepper sauce. But, yeah, it's not going to end well for them. So they end up going to prison, of course. And uh, it's the their live record set is called Live and in Prison, kind of like the Johnny Cash live from Folsom. It's a total Blues Brothers ripoff as well, you know, when they're playing Jailhouse Rock in the Blues Brothers. And uh, yeah, so it was interesting. The music supervisor was actually Lon Friend, who you might know from back in the day as Rip Magazine. All right, let's quickly go through the soundtrack because I did own this on cassette tape. I think I still have it at some point. But yeah, so White Zombie is actually in the movie. Um, they're playing at the Whiskey when Chris Farley is looking for Kayla because they need the demo tape. And they're playing Feed the Gods, which is, of course, on the soundtrack as well. And this is the only place you can actually hear that. Farley ends up in the mosh pit, and then he kind of gets accosted by some punks in the club. And so he pulls out their nipple ring. <laughs> and the music video for this song is very typical White Zombie B-movie quality quick cuts. And then you have Airheads clips uh, mixed in. And again, I pretty much bought the soundtrack for this song. This was right after La Sexorcisto, Devil Music Volume 1. You know, Thunder Kiss was huge, Black Sunshine. This is before basically their final album came out in 1995. So if you want a white zombie, you needed to get this song. Stuttering John has a song, uh, Talk My Way Out of It. And that's uh, actually playing on the van ride to the radio station. And uh, the receptionist is also playing a handheld Sega Genesis, which I think my sister used to have back in the day. Play Sonic the Hedgehog. We talk about this later, but uh, Four Non Blondes covers I'm the One. And yeah, man, like there really aren't that many great cover songs of Van Halen. How do you cover Van Halen? There's nobody like that. Uh, Keith Rogers ends up saying, sending me a, actually a very good cover of uh, On Fire from the debut Van Halen album by Striper. So there you go. Check that out. House of Pain is playing when Rex is DJing. House of Pain, of course, was uh, Jump Around, Jump Around. Yes. But they didn't play that song. I don't know what song it was. Uh, Candlebox, who was big at the time, they're on this soundtrack. They're playing uh, in the station when the guys are making their demands. Primal Scream is not on the soundtrack, but they're in the movie. And I actually really enjoyed this song, uh, Rocks, uh, when Pip is uh, getting it on with Susie. It's not on the soundtrack, but it's a very good song. Uh, Anthrax plays a cover of the song London, and I think that's by the Smiths, and this is playing when Chaz is saying, uh, everyone needs to go to rock and roll on the air. Uh, the replacements, they're played when the boys are setting up the, uh, the tape to play for, uh, Judd Nelson. 
the Ramones, We Want Their Airwaves is playing at the end of the movie. It's a perfect song. There are other songs on the soundtrack, but either I didn't hear them in the film or I didn't like them when I had the cassette. So there you go. All right, some fun facts. Uh, Cannibal Corpse, the famous death metal band, was originally supposed to be the main band instead of White Zombie. But when producers found out that they played an Ace Ventura Pet Detective that same year, uh, they were actually Jim Carrey's favorite band at the time, the producers opted for White Zombie. At around 40 minutes and 40 seconds, when Rex, Steve Buscemi, Pip, and Susie are collecting CDs to play on the air, a poster for This Is Spinal Tap which starred, of course, Michael McKeon, is seen on the wall just between the door and the desk. All right, so, hope you enjoyed that quick synopsis of Airheads. Yes, is it the best movie ever? No. Will you be entertained if you're into rock music? I think so. I still think it holds up well for a Comedy Central-type movie if you just want something fun to watch. All right, let's hear what uh, Keith Rochford and Metal Mike Tyler have to say on this week's episode, and we will talk to you next week. All right, we're back with Keith. How you doing, Keith? I'm doing good. How are you, Brian? I'm great, and, and we love having you on, and we're going to talk about, well, we both love hard rock music. We both love metal, and if this isn't a love letter to hard rock and heavy metal, I don't know what it is. We're going to talk about Airheads from 1994. So do you remember the first time you saw it, and did you see it in the theater? I did not see it in the theater. I'm trying to think. It was obviously probably my local video store. It was one like on every corner in those days. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm sure I rented it on, on VHS and watched it numerous times after that and then once cable I hit cable that was it I was if it was on and if it's on still I'll watch it at any given moment so that's a thing you, you kind of hit it that that it's kind of a word of mouth like if you see it on cable a bunch it kind of almost becomes a cult classic type of thing yeah but that is that is it that on the nose so were you aware of it when it was even in the theaters or did you just say eh, you just you had no idea that was even out I don't remember being in the theaters as much. I think I remember it more so maybe seeing an ad in like uh, Rip Magazine for the movie. Mm -hmm. And just, you know, at that point it was like, oh, Brendan Fraser, he just got done doing Georgia the Jungle or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, okay, I can't quite see that. But then, hey, it's it's a rock movie. I'll give it a chance. It can't be any worse than like Trick or Treat or something. So. That's true. And and actually, Sandler, who was kind of like the third in, third build, ended up being the most famous of all of them. Yeah, and then you had the uh, the Michael Richards. Yeah, exactly. Who was on Seinfeld at the time? Yeah, yeah, exactly. As it was hilarious. Yeah, good cast. I mean, you got, you got uh, Michael McKeon, who of course famous for Spinal Tap and and Laverne and Shirley and many other things, and uh, Joe Mantegna, and it's a good cast. Steve Buscemi. Steve Buscemi is probably the, my favorite of if anyone in the movie. Oh yeah, he's he's you know uh, every time I saw him in that movie, all I picture was Rex Brown. Exactly, that's <laughs> true. I think he probably based it off of him. He had to have. He had to have. I don't know who Sandler based his off of. I I don't know, but yeah, that the the Rex Brown just similarities are crazy. Yeah, I think Sandler was pretty much just acting like his goofy character on his comedy albums and even SNL. I think at the time. Yeah, yeah. So when, when's the last time you think you saw this? Uh, I saw like bits and pieces probably about a month or two ago. I own it on DVD, but oh, it's, cool. uh, it's it's not in the kids section, so that doesn't really get touched too often. Yeah, <laughs> probably it's probably I think it's PG thirteen, so they're still a little yeah. young for it. Um, oh, so, yeah. do you think it holds up well still? Um, 
yeah, I think it does. I think it's it's one of those, you know, it's kind of like an Empire Records type movie where it's just, it's a fun movie, music-based, you know, you get the in-jokes, I have to explain them to, you know, to some different people, you know, like Lemmy, yeah. Is God type stuff, but, you know, I think it still stands the test of time. It's pretty fun. And you gotta love the Harold Ramis Van Hagar uh, scene. Yeah. That, that's so good. Because yeah, it still holds true even now and then. You have to know what uh, side you're on. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. We, we won't say whose side we're on because we might get ousted from whatever groups that we're in. That's right. You never know. <laughs> so what are your favorites? Yeah, I go ahead. If you say Love Walks In is a good song, you know, you'll still be on Ralph's good side. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, so what are your favorite scenes from the movie? Um... The, the scene of them just with the, the the silly demo tape trying to chase down the reel to reel yeah <laughs> I, I remember that like like even in 94 who the hell was making a reel to reel tape that's true that's true I, I mean I get the fact that they needed it to get the the excitement built in the movie but even if it was just a cassette like one of those stupid high you know highlighter yellow memorex yeah. cassettes or something would have to me seemed more realistic like the reel to reel was just crazy but even the cameo by judd nelson you know telling brendan frazier you know, as the record exec that was awesome too yeah, oh yeah yeah it's funny because he played such the anti suit of course in the breakfast club and then if, and then turns around and he is the suit in this it, it was kind of like his is the the four the aftermath of uh was it saying not saying almost fire yes good call good call because he was, was kind of it was, it yeah. was like oh i became a record exec so you know i'm not, i'm as cool as i can be but really your pulse isn't your fingers are on the pulse of america it's straight up your ass at this point yeah exactly i'm glad you brought up saying almost fire because i have that on dvd we will be talking about that probably in the next five years so <laughs> so let's let's transition to the soundtrack did you own the soundtrack and and do you remember any songs off of it I do own the soundtrack. Um, a couple of the songs I remember, and I, the one that stuck out first was uh, the Lone Rangers yeah. song. <laughs> and I did a little bit of research on it, and it was, I didn't realize that that was a cover song. Yeah, exactly. And who did it, by the way? Uh, I've got a, it was a band called uh, Reagan Youth. Right, punk band. And yeah. that song was already 10 years old. Wow. It was from 84. Crazy. Yep, and uh, I mean, I, they actually did have Brendan Fraser do the vocals on it, which was, you know, at least authentic at that point. Mm -hmm. And then I was uh, the bass player and the guitar player from White Zombie at the time, Sean Salt, and then Jay Younger doing the, the music. I don't remember who the drummer was, though. Right, That's, yeah, exactly. What are the other tracks that you like off of it? Uh, I do like the Born to Raise Hell with Motorhead and, and Whitfield Crane. I, the Ice-T sounds weird to me on it, like... I mean, it's hard to say in-key, off-key, but it just doesn't seem to fit. Like, his vocals are too high in the mix when he comes in. Yeah, I agree. But I still liked it. Uh, I also liked, I loved Feed the Gods from White Zombie. Yeah, that was the reason to buy it, because it was that was the only thing it was on. Yeah, and, and the one of the ones that probably the guilty pleasure to me was the uh, Stuttering John song. I'll talk my way out of it. <laughs> yeah, because I, that was one of the reasons, I because I, he had a cameo in it, and I had been hearing about it on the Stern show, so that was cool. Yeah, uh, some of the other songs on there really didn't fit to me. Even now, looking back at it, there was a couple like grunge alternative bands on there that just didn't fit the music in the way it was in the movie. Even like Stick, yeah. Uh, who else was on there? Candlebox. Candlebox. They were big at the time. They were big at the time, but that song on there just reminded me of like a, a 
a watered down version of you that, yeah. that was their big hit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I wasn't too big of a fan. Uh, I did like the Anthrax song, which was a cover as well, which I think was on the B side of one of the singles from uh, Sound of White Noise. Yeah, they're always good at covers. Oh, they, the, and their B sides are always so cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, trying to think of some of the other songs that it just it was it just seemed like because it was '94, they wedged these alt rock bands on the soundtrack to try and sell more copies. Whereas if they had just stuck with the straight up rock that the band was supposedly portraying in the movie, I think it would have been a better soundtrack. Yeah, I agree. And it was weird. It was almost like they were um, two years too late, kind of like singles was about two years too early, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like singles was ahead of, of any kind of bandwagon that would happen. And this yeah. one just was like, you know, I don't know if this rock music is going to sell on here. So throw some of these, these flannel looking dudes out right. there. Maybe maybe we'll sell more. Yeah. Oh, and, and while we're at it, get that that band that that had that one hit that what's up and let's have them cover Van Halen yeah. for no reasons and just destroy the song. Yeah. That was weird. That was that was odd. I tried to listen to it again and, and that oh uh, Linda Perry, great songwriter, great producer for some pop bands yeah. and stuff, but not a David Lee Roth person and no. The guitarist tried really, really hard, but yeah, if you can't do it, don't don't even try it. Yeah, I can't I, think of any original. Can you think of any good Roth era covers? Um, no. Yeah, that's the thing. It's so hard to get it right. I think. Uh, yeah, go ahead. No, as I say, I think they're one of those bands that, in in that time frame, like, why would you, I think bands look at it? It's like trying to cover those key Beatles and Stone songs, you don't even want to try it. Right. Unless you do it completely different, like Ray Charles did yesterday, but it was his own right. style, you know? But yeah, you're right. Yeah, or if you take, like, an acoustic version of Jump or something. Right. I know, uh, fairly recently, Adrenaline Mob covered, I think, Romeo's Delight, and it's not bad, but yeah, I mean, it's it's they're such a unique band, I don't think you can, like, if you stay faithful, what's the point? Yeah, and, and, and if I remember that one correctly, in the middle of the breakdown for the Adrenaline Mob cover, they threw in the whole lot of love, because Ex- that was kind of where exactly. Van Halen ripped it off from. Yeah, good But call. yeah, I don't remember many covers for any Van Halen songs. No, because they were, they, I mean, they did a lot of covers themselves, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So do you like the version of, so you've heard the original Motorhead, Born to Raise Hell on Bastards, right? Yeah. Okay, which version do you like better? kind of like the one uh, if i could take ice tea out of it uh-huh i think the snottiness of woodfield crane at the time really worked well with with lemmy yeah there's but a I, yeah there's a uh, band i think was a bit too late to the party too if they come out a few years earlier i think they would have done even even better and they didn't do bad they didn't do bad the problem was even like for me right in the midst of everything ugly kid joe was like kind of like Steel Panther for the 90s. It Good was call. Like, like, am I supposed to laugh at this song? Because, you know, your, their first thing was Everything About You. Yeah. Which was, you know, kind of like the little snickering, oh, this is kind of a joke song. But then the next one was, I think, was Neighbor. Yeah, yeah. But then they do, so like, then, Goddamn Devil, which is super heavy. Right, and then yeah. they call Cats in the Cradle. Right, right. So, like, nobody knew what the hell their sound was. And then after that, they were done. yeah. And Menace to Sobriety is amazing. I think it's a great follow-up, but bad timing. 
Yeah, that's true. So, but yeah, no, uh, I think even on their third album, Motel California, uh, Lemmy's on one of the songs too. So I think it's Little Red Man or something like that. So they definitely had a Motorhead connection. And, and Lemmy has always championed those bands that no matter what you know the public thinks, if he likes them, he stands behind them. I mean, look what he did for Twisted Sister back in the day. Absolutely. And he must have had a liking to at least Whitfield because you know he's a stand behind. I mean, that, that that's pretty ballsy for a guy who you know is seen as you know the one of the icons in, in in rock and metal for a band that let's be honest was probably a joke at that point. Oh, to say, hey, I yeah. like him the hell with what you guys think. And I think that's why people respect Lemmy, because he didn't care, you know? No, he was, exactly, yeah. he didn't care, and, and and he gave instant cred to, to Whitfield Crane, which I think right after that, isn't that when he took over for uh, Keith Caputo in Life of Agony that's for a little bit? That's a good call, good call. And I just heard that Whitfield Crane, it might have been on Decibel Geek, Whitfield Crane actually... Uh, performed when Sabbath reunited in the mid-90s. Ozzy didn't want to do sound checks, and he didn't want to do rehearsals, and Whitfield Crane called up Sharon and actually for three days basically was Sabbath's lead singer for three days to rehearse with them, and he was like, it was a dream come true. So he was he's definitely a metal guy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, knew, I knew he was, and I think that was the Decibel Geek. Yeah, yeah. Gotta check out Decibel Geek if you haven't. If you haven't heard them, but they were definitely my inspiration, along with the rock and metal combat. So, anyway, this has been great. Thank you so much, Keith, and we'll have you on soon. All right, thanks for having me. I'll talk to you later. All right, all right, we're back with DJ Metal Mike. Welcome back, man. Thanks, brother. Thanks for having me, man. It's a true honor. How you doing? I'm doing wonderful. And as always, you got to go to that metal station, and you gotta you gotta support. Independent music and, and heavy metal and hard rock. And Mike's got two radio shows on that metal station. One is on Tuesdays uh, from 4 to 8 p.m. Eastern. And then the big one on Friday. That's 6 p.m. to 1 a.m. Eastern. Check it out. Join the chat room. Uh, give him requests. He's, he's the nicest guy in the world. And he totally digs people that are into metal. So support. And even if you're not into metal, just join the chat room. You'll probably get you something yes. that you might like. Oh, yeah. Music. That's I mean, right. Obviously, metal's my first love. I don't know about you. I saw this in the theater. I was, I had, it, I was a teenager at the time. So, uh, do you remember see if you saw this in the theater, or when did you first I see it? I wish I could say I did, but for some reason, dude, I don't know why, but this movie slipped past my radar when it came out. Mm. But I do remember it was a huge hit on video rentals. Yes, That's how I discovered it, and I loved it. I, you know, obviously being a rocker and a metalhead, I was like, oh yeah, this movie speaks for me and especially at that time because in 1995 94 grunge or whatever you want to call it which i never did understand that label a lot of the bands in seattle sounded nothing alike in my opinion you no know, they, i mean you know people labeled it grunge because it was like "Ooh, this is the new thing when i'm like well not really i mean even though i wasn't a big fan but to me like a band like pearl jam for instance they were just a straight up hard rock band to me they i didn't really consider them you know like i don't i'm like well what's grunge because the, the Deftones, or not the Deftones, but Allison Chain sounds different than the Melvins, and the Melvins sound different from Mud uh, Honey and yeah. <laughs> Soundgarden. Soundgarden, they all sounded different. Yeah, and Mud Honey and, and and Tad, and I mean, some of that stuff I liked. I'm not knocking it all, but I never did understand that attitude. Like, well, if you like Soundgarden and, and, and Pearl Jam, you can't you can't like Merciful Fate. And I'm like, since fucking when? No, so I never no. got that. There was so many people that were into that scene that, to my opinion, were just so close-minded. And that that was all the record label just trying to to pigeonhole 
certain things, and and that's how they they kind of split yeah, people and, up. And all of a sudden, metal was just like this dirty word, right? You know? And it, yeah, when you look at the time period of this movie that came out, it was kind of weird that they did a movie about a band that's trying to make it mm-hmm. on the Sunset Strip scene when the Sunset Strip scene was kind of pretty much on its way out, if not already over, really, if technically, because. When did Nevermind come out? Ninety ninety one, yeah. Ninety one, there you go. So I you know, but I still enjoyed the movie nonetheless. And and I I just thought it was a scathing indictment of what terrestrial radio was like then and even now, you yeah. know. Like that one scene where, you know, Steve Buscemi's going through their CDs and they're like, Man, this, this is awesome, these guys are great. And, and you got Michael McKee and Smilo going, Oh, they're so great, how come they're not burning up the charts? That's like, right. Because uh, you don't ever play them. <laughs> exactly. And I'm like, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's it's still kind of frustrating. Like, there are several bands right now that my local radio station, KC95, which I love them, but they're really stuck in. It's like, even when they play bands that you like, it's always the same song. Right. It's never, like our good friend Aaron Camaro, when he worked terrestrial radio, he told a story about how when he would play ACDC, instead of playing, you know. You shook me all now. Yeah. Mom, he would play one of the deeper cuts. Right. And he got yelled at for that, even though he's playing the same band. It's not like he fucking threw in fucking obituary or no. something crazy like that. And I just don't get that. It's like, I don't understand. I don't have a problem with them playing Zeppelin or whoever, but let's hear something we haven't heard a billion fucking Yeah, times. let's hear something off Presence instead of Zoso, you know? Fine. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you know, thank you, you know? Let, let's hear something off of Physical Graffiti yeah. that's not... Um, um, cashmere. Yeah, or Please. trampled underfoot. Yeah, I mean it's the same thing. Like they play two songs. Like that, that irritates me about terrestrial radio. And then, like I said, there there are several, in my opinion, new wave of hard rock, heavy metal bands that would be perfect for a station like Casey. Tyler Bryant and the Shakedown. Clutch has been around for oh, twenty yeah. years. Yep. With fit that and they never play them. Nope. Never. Nope. No, it's the same shit over and over and over. Well, and that's the- why I'm like, fuck terrestrial radio. You want to hear the real shit? Come to thatmetalstation.com. You're, that no, I'll, you're totally right. Not only your <laughs> internet radio, satellite radio, and podcasts yes. and podcasts because that's that's podcasts. really where it is. Hey, dare I say even YouTube? This is what Airheads is actually. It probably if this Airheads had come out in '92 and then the movie Singles had come out in '94, I think both of them would have been more successful because both of them didn't do well in the box office. They were kind of either behind the time or ahead of their time and. Uh, yeah, I think, but Airheads actually still resonates because of the way Terrestrial Radio thinks and how they were changing. They were going to, Michael McKeon was like this kind of typical music programmer who was going to change everything to soft rock and uh, because there was more money in it. And you made a good point with um, Singles, because Singles was a movie, that, what did that come out, 92? And that been huge in 94. It would have been, and, and they were kind of right on that cusp when, when Seattle was really starting to take off. I think um, that movie, it's a good movie. It's a really good movie. It's, it's underrated. I mean, the music is what people remember, but the story's good. Very, yeah, it's funny, man, in a lot of parts. I it, liked it. It is. Besides, it's got Alice in Chains in it. How can you not like a movie that's got Alice in Chains in it? And Soundgarden, and, uh, and basically Pearl Jam is uh, Matt Dillon's backing band, so... Yes, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's really funny. Citizen, Citizen Dick. Yeah, and I love the part where they're like telling the rest of the band, but you know, in the review, but that the singer sucks. Yeah, because <laughs> hey, we're beloved in Japan or whatever country it was. Right, 
But okay, so let's wait. So we talked about the movie a little bit, and then but there's some great lines because when Harold Ramis has his his cameo as like kind of the record executive, he does the exactly what yeah he's not pretending to be the record executive. Exactly, that's a good point. Um, but it's so priceless because he uh, he gives you the Van Halen question: What? Whose side did you take? Did you take Van Halen's or David Lee Ross? And that that'll tell you who's the suit and who isn't. Yep. Who's stronger? Lemmy or God? That's right. Lemmy. No, God. No, Lemmy is God. Trick question, bitch. <laughs> and then Lemmy's got a great cameo in it, too. Oh, yeah. I was the editor of the school paper. Yeah. <laughs> no, That's it's great. great. Of course, the whole line, like, Lone Rangers, uh, how can you be lone if there's three of them? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then later, Kurt Loder as himself even is like Lone Rangers how do you pluralize yeah that that, that can't be right yeah I don't know though I always thought Kurt Loder was kind of a elitist dickhead yeah yeah, he's kind of your uh, your Lester Bangs of of the 90s I think you know soundtrack wise do what are the songs you really remember from this um, well, of course, the opening, uh, Born to Raise Hell with Motorhead and Ice-T and Whitfield Crane. Yep. I like that one. I, I'm not a big uh, Four Non Blondes fan, but I thought they did a pretty good job with the Van Halen cover, I'm the One. White Zombie, Feed the Gods. How can you go wrong with that? That was Zombie in their prime. That's why I bought the soundtrack. Bastardizing Gel Kit uh, by Primus. I love Primus. I've been a Primus fan forever. Mm-hmm. And Prince by Prawns, cool song. So, yeah, I, that was a buddy of mine had the soundtrack. So we, we listened to it quite a bit. And I don't know if you know this, but Degenerated by the Lone Rangers actually featured... Uh, was actually originally by the hardcore punk band Reagan Youth. Yes. The version in the film, though, has got Jay Younger and Sean Yassel of White Zombie with Brendan Fraser on vocals. That's right. So it's basically White Zombie and Brendan singing. Right, which yeah. is pretty fucking cool. Oh, it's great. And then, and then, of course, if you want the air raves, the Ramones, you can't you can't bag on that. That's pretty pretty awesome. Yeah, and then there was a guy, Anthrax did a cover of London, which is a, a Smith song, and they're great at covers, and this is John Bush yes. era. So Yeah, that is a good cover, dude. I almost mm-hmm. forgot about that one, yeah. man. Uh, but yeah, it's a good movie. I enjoyed it. Like I said, I you know, there's lots of great lines in it, and uh, uh, like I like the one part where they're like, man, we might be doing a hard time, bro. Fuck, dude. Ozzy pissed on the animal. Yeah. <laughs> banned for decades. Did his time, came back, and kicked ass, man. I mean, like I said, if you are a fan of rock and metal, I just don't see. And it was interesting to see and Brendan going, you know, I get so tired of classic rock getting shoved down my throat. And he goes, but yeah, today's music just doesn't have anything to say. You're telling me that Purple Haze is something that's really deep, dude? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Joe Montaigne is kind of like, okay, you got me on that one. Which, you know, no disrespect to, to Jimi Hendrix, but it's kind of true, you know. But yeah, I absolutely adore this film, man. I think it's a fucking great movie, and fuck the critics. I yeah, exactly. And and there are movies where look, it, it's not meant to to win awards. This is meant to be a popcorn movie. This is meant, you know, especially if you're in a certain genre of music. You, I can't, like you said, I can't see how you couldn't like this. This is a lot of fun. As always, thank you so much, Metal Mike. Always, brother, stay metal. 
We are officially on Spotify now. So if you don't use iTunes, if you don't use the Podbean app, you can go to Spotify and get all of our past episodes. You can stream it on there. So if you're a Spotify user, you can go find Damn Good Movie. (laughs) I can't even say my own podcast. Damn Good Movie Memories. Yes, I know what I'm talking about. I'm the host, right? Okay, so go to Spotify, look for Damn Good Movie Memories. You can stream all of that stuff. And yeah, so if you don't want to use iTunes, you don't want to use Podbean, you can use Spotify as well. All right, before we sign off, we do have t-shirts are available for sale. All you have to do is go to tpublic, that's T-E-E-P-U-B-L-I-C.com, and you can get your very own Damn Good Movie Memories t-shirt. You can get all sizes, any gender, you can get whatever you want just at the tip of your fingers. So just go to tpublic.com, look up Damn Good Movie Memories, and you can get your very own t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast and are an iTunes user, please do the show a favor and head on over to the official iTunes page for Damn Good Movie Memories. Be sure to leave a rating and a review. This will allow the show to appear higher in the algorithm and spread the joy of this podcast to the masses. If you are not an iTunes user, you can still listen and subscribe on Podbean at damngoodmoviememories.podbean.com. Be sure to like us on Facebook under our Damn Good Movie Memories page. You can also listen to a limited number of episodes on YouTube. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode and be sure to tune in next week for an all new episode of Damn Good Movie Memories. I am Dr. Fuck. And I'm the actual alcoholic. And we are part of the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. We are the Rock and Metal Combat Podcast. That's right. The way you can check us out is we are on iTunes and also Podbeam. And we forgot a review recently. I got this review right here. It says right here, it says, Rock and Metal Combat Podcast is the greatest podcast in the world. And it's my number one podcast signed by Science. Now, and then Science also says... Science! Science also said... My second favorite podcast is It Doesn't Matter, The Rest Suck. Rock and Metal Combat Podcast on iTunes and Poppy. Check it out.